0: to the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. If you like the show, please subscribe to the show. Hit that subscribe button and you'll get notified each week when the next episode drops. Children, especially young children, have all these impulses going on. They, They wanna scream, they wanna run, they wanna cry. And it's not necessarily wrong that they feel like this. They're just reacting to their environment, but it's not going to serve them in the world. You can't just scream all the time, as much as the world makes you want to scream. Here to speak with us about self-regulation is Alana Robinson, Alana is a registered early childhood educator and developmental specialist. She's also a coach for parents with young children. Basically what Alana does is she helps parents understand why their children are misbehaving and how to fix the situation without yelling, without shame, and without timeouts. Let's check it out.
1: So there's a difference between consequences and timeouts. Timeouts are, well, they originally developed as an alternative to spanking. They're a construct of a man named Arthur Stotts. He started it by testing them on his own daughter in 1958. And basically he was trying to come up with an alternative for physical discipline. And he figured that social isolation was a good alternative to hitting your kids. And I guess when you frame it that way. It is, (laughs) so um, basically timeouts physically isolate a child, but the problem with that, and yes, in like operant conditioning terms, if you isolate someone every time they do something, they will eventually get the message that this is undesirable behavior. But we don't differentiate between anything when we put a child in timeout, you know, you hit your brother, go to timeout, you throw something, go timeout. You scream in the grocery store, you're sitting in a timeout. Everything that a child does has that same consequence, which doesn't actually teach the child to make amends for their behavior or what they should do in those situations instead. And generally, that's why children are misbehaving. It's because they don't know how to meet their goal in the situation that they're in. And so they take what they consider to be the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And so usually is that children just don't know how to regulate their bodies. They don't know how to get the attention they're looking for. They don't know how to meet the demand that they have put on them in the context that they're in without doing the thing that they're doing, the misbehavior. So So when we take kids and we put them in time out, we're shaming them for not knowing what to do, basically.
0: So what's the alternative to that then? Like if you hit your brother, do you like clean your brother's room or how do you how do you make a connection from the misbehavior to the consequence?
1: Yeah, so I teach something that I call the logical consequence process, which basically is ensuring that the punishment fits the crime, right? The thing that you did is directly tied to how you're going to make amends For that. You're going to fix the problem and or back it up and replay through that situation so that you know what to do next time. So in the instance of like you hit your brother cleaning up his room that's a nice way to show that you feel sorry but it doesn't actually fix the problem does it? It's kind of like a backhanded waving, like, sorry, like if Will Smith (laughs) went up to Chris Rock and was like, hey, I'll wash your car because I slapped you on the Oscars stage. Chris Rock would be like, cool, bro, that doesn't fix things, right? Uh, Yeah. So we want to teach our kids what to do in that situation to actually make amends. So, or what to do next time. So it often depends on why the child hit the other one. Was the other kid in their face, were they the actual instigator and the child was defending themselves? If so, how can you tell your brother to back up without hitting him? And then role play that, practice it. Because if we never give children instruction on what to do, other than when they're in a very volatile situation, when we're very high on stress, when we feel attacked our reason actually becomes inaccessible to us. The part of our brain that deals with reason, language, knowledge, our executive functioning skills, all of that good stuff that makes us like civilized human beings, our brain stops sending blood to that part of our brain because all of that stuff is nice but it's not actually keeping us alive. What is keeping us alive is our safety instincts, our memories and our emotions. So when we feel attacked, we stop thinking rationally. We stop having those, you know, ooh, how could I solve this problem thoughts? And we go on instinct. Mm. There's no reason to it. So by practicing it with them when they're not in a volatile situation, that muscle memory almost on what to do instead. How do I handle this situation in the future? Practice it. And then like in the situation of two kids having a conflict, how can you make him feel better? How can you solve the problem that you just created? Would he like an ice pack? Would he like you to leave him alone for a while? Does he want you to listen to how he's feeling and accept his emotions? And usually it's not a big thing. And that's why parents kind of default to the timeouts and the punishments, because we feel like we have to prove to our kids that what they did was wrong. We want to show them that what they did was wrong is what so many parents, especially dads will say, they need to know it was wrong. They already know it's wrong. They just didn't know what else to do.
0: Well, it sounds like what you're talking about too, is kind of the difference between being proactive and being reactive. So like talking through something of like, how are you going to do this next time? That's like a proactive step.
1: Exactly. It's a pro. We're solving the problem before it reoccurs instead of just waiting for the problem to happen again and dealing with it in that moment. And the problem with being reactive is, as I said, we lose access to that rational, reasonable, knowledge filled part of our brain when we're high on emotion, when we feel attacked. So we're trying to teach children in that moment that they feel attacked. If the part of their brain that learns, isn't actually online, if it's not receiving the resources, then that information is never going to get processed. And that's why parents will be like, well, I tell them what to do, but it's like, it goes in one ear and out the other. Well, if we're not teaching them when they're physically capable of learning, of course it keeps happening.
0: They're kind of reverting back to like animal brain.
1: Right. They're just, they're doing what they need to do to reach their goal. And their goal is generally keep myself safe.
0: I think about how we're all just kind of like, even though we're humans, we're animals. And that seems so clear with little kids because they're so like into their impulses or running around or screaming or crying or whatever. And it's not always like they're even trying to misbehave. It's like just some kind of like animal thing they need to get out. Like they just need to scream in that moment or something.
1: It's sensory needs, there's our bodies, the way that our body regulates, which is the ability to stay calm and to think rationally and have all of those pieces of our brain firing at the same time. When we're calm, when we're in that state of homeostasis, everything just clicks. And everything is easy and parents will say to me, like, you know, sometimes I can ask them to go put their shoes on and they just get up and they go and they put their shoes on and they're ready to go. They're happy. There's no problems. Everything's just clicking. And then other times they say, can you go put your shoes on? And they're like, no, it's too hard. I can't. I need you to do it for me. And the difference between those two things to parents is nil because it's the same request. But the difference between those two scenarios is regulation. Hmm. If our nervous system is hyper aroused or hypo aroused, then that's taking up a lot of energy. And when you put a demand on top of that, children know that they can't meet the demand. So they won't. They're going to try and force us as the adults in their lives that they're attached to, to compensate for them. And so when we're talking about like, animalistic things and they need to scream. Sensory input is how our nervous system regulates. It's how it gets calm. And the most common ways for us to regulate are proprioceptive input, which is um, input in your muscles and joints. So anytime you like contract your joints, that's giving you proprioceptive input. Vestibular input, which is stuff like spinning and running and jumping where your body is moving through space, and that activates your inner ear. So we've got proprioceptive, vestibular, and auditory. So, you know, we're talking, this is why like women will get together and they just want to (laughs) vent, because that gives us really good auditory input, and it gives us really good social auditory input. Children will scream at the top of their lungs because they're doing something called audio filtering, where they're trying to create overwhelming audio input to drown out all of the other input that is feeling kind of icky or that's causing them to feel unsafe. So when we look at things through a sensory lens, a lot of the time our children are seeking sensory input in not super appropriate ways, but that doesn't mean that we need to just get rid of the sensory input. In fact, that usually escalates the situation. We need to teach our children to get that sensory input in a way that's not hurting people or property.
0: So how do we teach that? Because like if a kid's feeling overwhelmed at a grocery store and they Mm -hmm. just need to scream, it's like, okay, well, we can't just scream at the grocery store right now. So what can we do?
1: Totally. So I used to work with this kiddo and he would, he would have these full on lying on the floor meltdowns in the middle of Costco. And it was difficult and it was part of the problem was that he was getting overwhelmed by all of the people and you know how Costco can get when it's really busy, it's super crowded. And so he was having lots of danger signals. He was perceiving danger where there wasn't any. And after working with him for a little bit, I was like, hey, so you know it's okay to ask to leave Costco, right? And he was like, no. (laughs) nobody had ever told him he had a choice of whether he could be there. And when he felt like he needed to scream, that it was appropriate to go and scream in the car. So we worked on it for a while, it took some time to build up the habit. But we started teaching him that when he felt like he was going to need to scream to say, I need the car keys. Now this kid was 14. So he could easily take the keys, go outside, let himself into the car, scream his heart out, and then come back and join us. And so we try and preemptively catch our children when they're going to become dysregulated when they're going they're kind of on that cusp there. And teach them how to use that sensory input appropriately so like both of my kids are hitters when they get upset or they feel like they're being attacked their instinct is to smack someone and you can imagine with two little boys. in home How that can escalate very quickly into like the Thunderdome so. We have punching bags in our home now. And I've been teaching my boys since they were old enough to walk. When you feel like you need to hit something, you cannot hit your brother without consent. You either have to get consent or you have to go punch your punching bag. And you can never hit your brother, even with consent, out of anger.
0: Well, why why would you ever be like, why would you ever give consent for someone to hit you?
1: Because that's how little boys... Connect, well, that's how children connect, but little boys especially. They like to rough and tumble play. They like to play superheroes and it makes them feel powerful. And so if they have consent, and my boys will say, they'll be like, hey, you want to play slap? And they will literally sit there and slap each other across the face back and forth over and over and over. And it looks horrible. But if I walk in and say, whoa, 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 is this consensual? They're both like, yeah. And they know that it's a game and that when they revoke consent, when they say stop, the other will.
0: But you're not like slapping as hard as you can, I assume.
1: Oh, they are.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But
1: they've both said that they're okay with it. They've both given consent. They both know the rules of the game. They've talked about what's allowed, what's not allowed. How hard? If somebody says stop, what do we do? We put our hands in the air and we take two steps back. And so they have those norms and they both have been held to them consistently. So they're confident in the fact that the other children will stop if they say stop. And so if they want to slap each other across the face because they find it funny, go for it kiddos. But if someone says stop, you need to stop.
0: Hmm. I think with adults, it's tough with children sometimes because they can always just pick up on our emotions.
1: Yes. And it's
0: like, you know, even if you're trying to present as calm, they can just read it. They know you're not calm. So I guess my question is, um, do children have telepathy?
1: No, they have what's called limbic resonance. So our limbic system, which is this little Center core of our brain that holds our amygdala and our hippocampus. Amygdala is our security system. Our hippocampus is like our memory bank, it's what holds all of our long term memories and then a whole bunch of other parts. But the main function of it is to process our emotions, our memories, and our security system. And it gives off brain waves, just like there's light waves and sound waves, we give off limbic resonance. Resonance is a music term where if you're in a room full of instruments and, for instance, you play a G note, all the instruments in the room will also vibrate at that G note at a low level. Not loud enough for you to hear, but if you had to like a note monitor and you put it on it, you would see it's vibrating at a G.
0: Cool. So
1: it's the same concept where when we're giving off emotions, when our limbic resonance is in high gear, the other limbic systems around us are going to vibrate at a low level at that same emotional frequency. Now for our children, especially our biological children, our resonance is the first resonance. So they're most attuned to ours. So they don't have telepathy in that they can't hear our thoughts. If our neocortex gave off resonance, then we'd be able to have telepathy because we'd have thinking going on, which isn't what happens in the limbic system. The limbic system just feels. It doesn't think. So they can sense our emotions. And this is the same reason that we can like train dogs to alert to seizures or to other medical things, because our limbic system will often detect that change in state in our body first and start giving off the "Mm, something's not right signal to the rest of our body. And so we can train dogs to alert to that resonance just the same way that our children have trained themselves to alert to when mom or dad isn't feeling well, when mom or dad is upset, when something's not right.
0: It goes back to that sort of we're all just animals part of this is like a survival instinct that we read each other's vibes. and
1: Exactly. Because if you think like back to like caveman days, if dad was standing guard at the mouth of the cave and a lion came by, Dad needed a way to alert the mom and therefore the kids to the fact that there is a threat without going, there is a threat. It's why panic is so contagious because panic is a very strong resonance. And so if one person panics, the chance that everyone around them is going to start panicking is very, very high because we attune to that panicked, something is desperately wrong we're in grave danger resonance very quickly.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours about all this. Any closing thoughts or words you want to share with the audience?
1: So limbic resonance doesn't just go one way, it goes two ways. And that means that moms, dads, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first. And I know it's a cliche, but In order to take care of your kids, you've got to take care of yourself. If you're dysregulated, there's no hope in hell of your child being being regulated because you are the higher level brain. They're referencing you and your emotional state. So put your oxygen mask on first. Take care of you, even if that means that your child's needs come second, which is completely against everything we've been taught (laughs) up to date. But it really makes such a difference when we take care of ourselves first and we stay calm. You're going to notice a big shift in your child's behavior without actually having to make any changes with how you interact with them.
0: It all starts with us adults. Well, it does. Thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Super interesting conversation. Thank you, Alana, for coming on the show. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.